the, the kiddos, the, the children. Go ahead and meet me in 2 Corinthians. Meet me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, we're in our series uh, of the incarnation. Uh, and that says the joy of the incarnation. Go ahead and flip that title. That's a, I'm not going to preach the same message twice, but I forgot to update it. Uh, the title of this week's sermon uh, is the, uh, what did I call it? The, the incarnation as the ground of gift giving. The incarnation as the ground for gift giving. Christmas time is upon us, and if you are like uh, uh, my family, then you're probably in the midst of a great deal of gift buying. Um, uh, uh, I was talking to someone this morning. Some of you guys are procrastinators. Uh, thank God for Amazon. I don't know what we did back in the day when we had to actually plan to go and get toys. Um, well, I know what we did, but either way, thank God for that. For you procrastinators, hopefully these uh, series of messages on the incarnation will help you think Christianly about gift giving. If you've already spent uh, all your money, um, perhaps are in debt at this point, uh, maybe you can uh, uh, take note from these sermons as well. But I wonder if you've ever thought, uh, why do we give gifts? Why do we give gifts? Like, like not just at Christmas time, but as a concept of what it means to be human, why do we give gifts? I don't know if you've ever spent any time thinking about that. Uh, at a deeper fundamental level around the whole enterprise of gift giving, why do we do it? Furthermore, is there a difference in the way non-Christians give gifts and the way that we as Christians should give gifts? Uh, specifically at Christmas time, we would, need to, we would need to be blind to see all the sinful ways and all the ditches that the world falls into uh, around this idea of gift giving. Right? We're encouraged to go into debt, to spend money we don't have. We're encouraged to spend on trivial things that will not make it past Christmas Day. We're encouraged to give with an eye of comparison, of outgiving. We're encouraged to give uh, so that we can get. Oftentimes, uh, how many of you have ever been bought a present for, by someone? Someone's given you a present, and in your mind, you have immediately thought, oh, great, now I have to buy them a gift. I know I'm not alone there. You see, I know because I'm human. Uh, all of these are real issues that, uh, that you might even right now be facing uh, as, you, as you think about Christmas, as you think about gift giving. But, but here's the question for this morning. How does the fact that Jesus became a baby... How does the incarnation change and transform all of our gift giving? As Christians, we are to bring every aspect of our lives into submission to Christ. Uh, this includes uh, our gift giving. So how does our giving radically become transformed? Including Christmas time, but yet all the other gifts as well. How does it become radically transformed because of what Jesus has done? The aim of my sermon this morning is to look through the scriptures to understand that God is a gift giver. And as image bearers, we are naturally then gift givers as well. That Jesus is the greatest gift the Father has ever given. And because of that gift, we can then lavishly and generously give gifts to others. Let's pray. Father God, uh, as we begin to on this endeavor of understanding how the cross, how the, the baby in a manger transforms uh, our cultural conceptions of Christmas, of gift giving, I pray, Lord, that you would use the Spirit to speak to our hearts this morning. You would transform us in one degree of glory to another, conforming us into the image of your Son. Uh, we pray all these things in his beautiful and mighty name. Amen. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, if you're there, say amen. Amen. Let's look at uh, verse 6. Paul says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one of us give, uh, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all things, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That's our text for this morning, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. But uh, before we kind of dive into the meat of the, the text this morning, let me just lay a little bit of the groundwork of what Paul's doing in this, in this entire chapter. You see, in, in verses 1 through 5, Uh, The opening verse of this chapter, Paul is speaking about the zeal that the Corinthians uh, have. They've been so transformed by the gospel of Christ that they are filled with zeal for good works, for for, for giving. And he's pointing out the effect on the ministry of the saints and how it's having an encouragement to the people of Macedonia. And at some point, uh, the Corinthian church was so moved by the good news of the gospel of Jesus and about hearing of the needs of others that they had promised to give to Paul uh, some sort of gift. Uh, Financial, most likely, a gift for uh, Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul says that he's going to go ahead and send some folks ahead of time to them to help them uh, arrange that gift, not because Paul was looking to get more out of them. He says that in verse 5. But he's sending them ahead because they're willing they're willing. So that's the text. Paul is Paul's talking about gift giving. He's talking about the Corinthians and the promise that they've made uh, and how he wants to help facilitate that. And so then we get into our passage this morning. Three sections for you, uh, and then I'll be out your way. Number one, the principles of gift giving. Paul lays that out in verses 6 through 9, the principles of gift giving. In verses 10 through 14, Paul gives them the ultimate flow of gift giving. So how, how does the flow of gifts move? And then in verse 15, he, he, he grounds it in the ground of gift giving, the ground of gift giving. So there's the three points of the sermon this morning. Uh, let's dive in. Principles of gift giving. Uh, it's, in the, it's in verse 6. So look at verse 6 again with me. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul's point in this is that giving gifts produces blessings. Giving gifts produces blessings. Uh, it's in verse 6. He clearly states this principle. Uh, Not only uh, does this make sense logically when we think about what he says, but it's also Scripture declares it. He says, whoever sows sparingly, it's like just naturally, you're going to reap sparingly. If you put little seed in the ground, you're going to get little harvest. But if you put uh, large amounts of seeds in the ground, then there you will reap bountifully. Right? This is a principle stated throughout the Scriptures. Proverbs 11.24 said, one freely gives, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Proverbs 22, uh, verse 9, it says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Galatians 6, 7, uh, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap, right? So, so Paul's point in this is, again, in the context of the Corinthians' promise to give a gift of financial support 
to, to the work of the ministry and to the Christians in Jerusalem, Paul says, hey, uh-uh, this is really good because you're understanding that if you want to reap blessings, well, then you need to sow some blessings. In simpler terms, this conveys the idea that the amount and kind of generosity one shows will be reflected in the blessings or rewards one receives in return. If you give sparingly, you can expect a sparing reward. If you give generously, you can expect to receive generously. Now, there is a danger in using this type of language, isn't there? This idea that gift uh, giving produces blessings. Um, You might be thinking of televangelists or preachers who prey on those who simply do not know the scriptures. Uh, uh, And they say something like, uh, send us $1,000 now and the Lord will give you $10,000, right? Like this is utter foolishness. But do you know why health, wealth, wealth and prosperity preaching is so effective? Ever thought about it? Like how does it hoodwink so many people? Uh, It's because uh, because all heretical teaching, all heretical, including prosperity, that kind of prosperity preaching, has a sense of truth in it. Right, like, like the, the, uh, the prosperity preachers will quote this exact verse that I've read to you and actually teach you exactly what I just taught you, that, uh, that gift-giving produces blessings. They will teach that, but then they'll, they'll, they'll run off the rails. Right? They'll distort it to their, meet their own ends. And it becomes disconnected from the rest, uh, uh, the rest of scriptures. All heretical teaching is this, by the way. All heretical, like no one, uh, no, like it, it's just enough truth in it to sound reasonable, sound plausible, and then you end up in a ditch. Prosperity said, preaching says, give us your money and God will increase it 100 fold. Uh, they, they fail to see that the blessings received are not always in the form of financial prosperity. They fail to take serious the reality of Proverbs 28 20, which says, a faithful man will abound with blessing, but whoever hastens to be rich, will not go unpunished. In other words, what the Proverbs trying to teach us is, if you're merely giving monies or, or giving gifts away in such a way that you somehow receive it back immediately at a hundredfold, right? In other words, if, if this is just another using Jesus to get rich quick scheme, well, it's, it's ludicrous. The, the Proverbs says he will, that, that kind of person, that kind of person who thinks like that will, will not go unpunished, right? And so all these prosperity preachers, they fail to understand the reality of the scripture's teaching on being content in Christ if you have nothing, or being content in Christ if you have an abundance. So there's a danger for me then to say that gift giving produces blessings, and yet it's something I must say because it's what the text says. It must be said because it's what the scriptures say. Oftentimes in reaction to people like prosperity smuggling preachers, we jump out of the ditch of prosperity pe- preaching and end up in the ditch on the other side. The other side of the road of this kind of teaching is that to, to disconnect all blessings from gift giving. Right? Like if, if, if one ditch on the side of the road of gift giving and blessings is to say, uh, merely give us all your money and God will triple it. If that's one ditch, well then the other ditch is to disconnect the two entirely. To say that there is no connection between blessings and gifts. But the, the scriptures here teach that there, are, there is some sort, of, some sort of connection, right? Some sort of connection between gift-giving and blessings. But if we are in that ditch of disconnecting blessings and gifts, well, then we, 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 we ignore our Lord's teaching, who says that it's actually uh, more blessed to give than receive, Right now, when, stop and think about that for a minute, because we all know that verse, we we say that verse, but do we, we do we really understand and apply that verse? Right? What does it mean then to be blessed? 
Have you ever thought about it? Makarios is the, 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 the Greek word there. To, to be blessed, it means to, to receive, right? To receive favor. Favor from the Lord, right? So when, when Jesus himself says it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive, he says uh, if you want to receive a gift, you want to receive favor from the Lord, well, then it's more blessed. It's more likely. It's, it's going to happen in more abundance if you're the giver on a receiving on a transaction as opposed to a receiver. So Paul's point remains the same here as Jesus, that gift-giving produces blessings. But his second point is that gift-giving is from the heart. His second principle is that gift-giving is always from the heart. You see, in verse 7, he describes that gift-giving comes from the heart and not from external realities. Look at verse 7 again with me. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If any person is going to give a gift, he must do it, not because he's being forced to, but because he wants to. His desire is to naturally want to bless other people, to give to other people. He must be a cheerful giver. This doesn't mean that it's a giving of gifts through clenched teeth with forced smiles, right? So lately in our house, uh, we've been working on discipline with the kids. And uh, we just recently added a, a new thing where uh, if they do something wrong, uh, not only do they need to uh, apologize and repent for it, but they actually have to ask, to, to, uh, ask the one who they've offended, which is generally each other, uh, to do you forgive me? Right? In this process, we're trying to teach them the gospel, right? That uh, when we repent uh, and we ask Christ to forgive us, uh, it, it, the answer is he, he will. He will. This also per- teaches the person being offended the need for forgiveness, right? It's, 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 it's all those. But, but it, oftentimes, my children, I say, you know, you need to go uh, and, and apologize and ask for their forgiveness. It's generally like, do you forgive me? <sighs> I would rather be anywhere else, Dad. I'm sorry, do you forgive me, right? If we're approaching gift giving and our understanding of, uh, of how we should be giving gifts to something, well, this is just something the Lord said I have to do and I want some blessings, so here you go. This is, this is a heart issue, you see. You see, part of the goal of shepherding our children and part of the goal of giving gifts is not just to conform uh, our children to the rules or to be the kind of man or woman who listens to police officers, though they should. Our goal in, in parenting is to give them, uh, to make them actually begin to love the rules, to love the rules, to love the design and the structure of the house, to get them to love the good and hate the evil. And so it is with our gift giving, right? The Lord actually doesn't want you to give merely so you can be blessed. He wants you to give because you love giving, because he loves giving. The third principle that Paul lays out here for us is that gift-giving is always done in faith. Gift-giving is always done in faith. You see in verse 8, Paul says that it is God who is able to give us grace so that we have everything we need. You see, verse 8 is not disconnected from verses 6 and 7. Uh, This verse is not standing on its own saying that God can make all grace abound during the midst of persecution, though he can It's not saying God can make all grace abound during intense moments of suffering, though he can. It's not saying God can make all grace abound during seasons of spiritual depression, though he can. No, but but Paul's point is that God is able to make all grace abound so that you have everything you need in the context of teaching 
that gift giving is uh, is related to blessingness, and that the gift giving is a a matter of the heart being in the right place, right? So so don't 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 separate these, right? Like he's not just saying, yeah yeah, God can provide for all your needs. He, he's saying that God can provide for your needs when you give to others. So if your thought is, I can't give right now, Pastor, or or I can't lovingly uh, uh, share gifts. Uh, with the rest of the watching and dying world around me because I will somehow then become lacking. Paul says, no, 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 no. God is able to take care of all of that. This is what I mean when I say gift giving is uh, done in faith. The implication of now saying that God is able to make all grace abound is that we must give gifts cheerfully by faith and that gift giving is done in faith that God will continue to supply all of your needs. Uh, and then he says in verse 9, as it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. You see, Paul points the Corinthians back to the reality that God is the one who is distributed freely. So the, the Corinthians may have been wondering, okay, like we, we know we've promised to give this gift. Uh, not quite sure about how it's all going to work out. Uh, and then Paul just says, hey, don't worry. God's got you. He's going to continue to give you increase. He's going to continue uh, to bless you. Uh, and then just leave it at that. No, no, he, he grounds it in the Old Testament, right? He, he's saying, no, no, like God has given freely. He will give freely. And, and by the way, Corinthians, uh, in the future, God will give freely. So, so Paul lays out these three principles of gift giving, right? Uh, this, uh, the, the idea that gift giving produces blessings, that gift giving comes from the heart, and that gift giving always must be done in faith. But now let's look at the flow of gift giving, because Paul moves on. He doesn't, he doesn't just say, well, there you go. There's the principles. Figure it out. Uh, he moves from the principles of gift giving to the ultimate flow of gift giving. And here he has three ideas. He has the source, the outcomes, and the receipts. Notice first that he is continuing to talk about God in verse 10. He is the source of gift giving. He says, he being God, he, God who supplies need to the seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Paul is continuing on the theme, uh, or continuing on with them, of God making all grace abound to the Corinthians. He, he's wedding together uh, the, the metaphor uh, that he began with in verse 6 of, of sowing seeds. Uh, he, he's grounding, he's, he's wedding that together with the fact that God is the one who provides. He anchors them in the reality that God is the one who initially supplied the seed and the bread in the first place. Don't miss this. Every gift you have is God's. The money in your bank account, is the, uh, God is the one who put it there. The gifts in your hands, God is the one who supplied them. Now you may be thinking, well, 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 pastor, hold on. I worked hard. I, went, I worked 40 hours this week, pastor. And I say, amen, amen. Uh, Paul actually says, uh, I worked harder than all of them, right? Uh, the, the idea is not that we, but, but, but who gave you the strength? Who gave you your work ethic? Who gave you a job? Who's the one who's provided for all of your needs since the time you were young, a baby? Has it not been God? You see, God's point, Paul's point is that God is the one who initially supplies everything. Then he goes on to say that God will multiply and increase the impact of their generosity. And isn't this just like God? He's going to take something that the small that the Corinthians are given and turn it into something much larger. It's what, he, it's what he's saying. He's going to make it larger. He's going to grow. And isn't this just like God, to take something meager and make it explode? For example, the five loaves of bread and two fish. Who could, who could forget in that? 
I was with a, a group of guys a couple months back now. We were, we were talking about different things that had impacted their lives in uh, different ways, things that held on to them. Uh, and I was talking to one brother, um, <clears throat> and he, he, he mentioned that, like, somebody had said a word to him, right? It was, uh, he was, just got done going through a, a pretty nasty divorce. He had a couple kids, um, and, and his mother-in-law, in passing, says, you're a good dad meant nothing to her. She just said it in passing in the middle of a conversation. Uh, she meant it, but he was sharing the story. Is like, that's the thing that has stuck with him out of all things over like the last couple of years. He's like, that hit me, right? And isn't that just like, God, to take a, a few words like, you're a good dad and make that, plant it as a seed in his heart to make it grow into reality. The source of gift giving is found in the reality that God is a giver. And then once we properly understand this, we realize that we are not the primary stakeholders in any transaction. We are merely the stewards of the gifts he has given us, right? Uh, you remember the story from Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents? In summary, the story involves a master who entrusts his servants with varying amounts of talents, right? The varying amounts of money. Two of the servants invest and multiply their talents, while one buries his out of fear. To, uh, when the master returns, uh, he rewards the two servants who invested wisely, but he condemns the one who buried the talent, emphasizing the importance of using and multiplying the gifts and resources given by God, rather than fearfully hiding them away. The parable teaches a lesson about stewardship, responsibility, the consequences of what happens when we neglect the gifts and opportunities that God has provided. All of our gifts come from God. And when we understand that, uh, when we understand that we're not merely holding on to our little kingdoms, well, then we can live with open hands, open hands. This is the source of all of our gift giving. But then he moves into the, the outcomes of gift giving. He moves from talking about the source to talking about the outcomes. Uh, notice at the start of verse 11, Paul says, uh, you, right, you will be enriched. If we read slowly, uh, we notice that this is the first time he begins to take the principles of gift giving and applies them to the Corinthians specifically. You see in verse 6 he states the point. In verse 7 he speaks in generalities, right, like everyone, right, each one must. Then in verses 8, 9, and 10 Paul's speaking about God, but it's at verse 11 that Paul brings all of this that he's previously said to bear on the Corinthians themselves. In other words, he, he takes theology and makes it personal. He, he applies it. He takes the theology and the principle and he makes it come home to roost in the Corinthians' backyard. Notice verse 11. He says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul moves from verse 10 where God is the one who will multiply and increase the gift to telling them that they themselves will be enriched. And this isn't a tit for tat for Paul. He's not teaching, if you give, then don't worry. God will take care of you. He will pay it back. But he says, no, you're going to be enriched in every way, in every way, in order to be generous even more. You see, the first outcome uh, of gift giving is uh, we get the gift of giving more gifts, the gift of giving more gifts. This is what Paul's teaching here. He's saying that they will be supplied and increased in order to continue being generous, which will result in even more thanksgiving. Outcome number two is that he, he, he mentions that real needs will be met. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, 
but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Now, there's, there's two outcomes in this one verse. Uh, in verse 12, he tells them that their gift is actually supplying the needs of the saints. And here is what I love about this verse and really this whole passage. It begins to connect the, the new realities which are brought about by the work of Jesus. It begins to bring these realities and connect them to our lives in real time. You see, in my own heart and perhaps yours, uh, I'm often tempted to over-spiritualize all of this. But the Bible will not allow us to escape from the fact that we live in a real world. A real world with real pain and real sorrow. Real sorrow of families torn apart by relational strife and conflict. Real sorrow is people reckon with the long-term consequences of substance abuse and childhood trauma and marital unfaithfulness. Real sorrow is families and individuals um, uh, face an uncertain future, loss of work, savings running low. Real sorrow as unmarried men and women suffer from loneliness. Real sorrow as young couples face the emotional roller coaster of a miscarriage. Real sorrow as parents watch their children wandering far from the Lord or as a child watches their parents wander far from the Lord. You see, Paul is saying that the gift the Corinthians are given are not just like this, it kind of just disappears into a vast emptiness. And that somehow like they're just going to get blessed by it. No, he's saying that these are real needs. The Bible meets us where we are. It meets us in the gritty realities of the, the weight of the curse of sin that we still all struggle underneath of. It meets us in our sin and in our despair. It meets us in our needs. And Paul was saying in this verse that the giving that they are doing is supplying to meet those very real needs. But the point of verse 12 is that the, the, the outcome number three is that thanksgiving abounds. Notice this. Uh, uh, Paul in this verse is saying that it's doing something else. It is meeting all the words, but it says, he says, but it's also overflowing in thanksgiving to be offered to God. And then in verse 13, he, he goes on. He said, by their approval of this service, they, this is the recipients of the gift, will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity for your, of your contribution for them and for all others. What the, what the Spirit's saying in verse 13 is really mind-blowing if we stop to think about it. He's saying that as the recipients uh, receive and approve and rejoice in what they are receiving, they will also glorify God because, notice that, because of, the submission of the lives of the Corinthians to the gospel of Jesus. Think with me for a moment. Well, Paul is saying that in our giving, we demonstrate forth to other people that we ourselves have been changed. In our giving, we demonstrate forth to other people that we ourselves have submitted our lives to Christ. And when we do that, it causes other people to glorify God. Think about it. As you give Christmas presents to other people this year, you might in turn be causing them to then go on and glorify God because of your submission to the Lordship of Christ. I'll give you a real, real-time example. Just a few weeks ago, right, we celebrated my graduation. Uh, a, a number of you gave uh, gift cards, and I just went home, and I just said, I was opening them and reading them, uh, you know, all the different gifts, and uh, I just said, man, Julie, isn't God good to give us a church like this? to give us loving people like that, right? That, that's the idea that Paul's getting at, is that, that in your gift giving, you might actually cause other people to glorify God. It's beautiful. Have you ever thought about this before? Have you ever thought that I'm gonna give a gift so that the one who is receiving it might glorify God? As you're walking down the walls of Amazon, 
the, the aisles of Amazon and thinking, what can I give to this person? One of the questions you should stop and ask yourself is how will this cause them to glorify God? And then finally, he moves into the receipt of gift giving. Uh, look at verse, uh, or in verse 10, Paul gives the source of giving, which flows into the outcome of the gift of giving, which then finally flows into the receipt of gift giving. In verse 14, he says, While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, what Paul is saying is that the Corinthians have taken the gift that God has given them uh, and given it to others, uh, that they will get a receipt on their gifts. The receipt, according to verse 14, is the prayers and longing from the recipients of the gift to the giver. In other words, Paul is saying that, like, hey, you've given this gift. Uh, you can rest assured that the ones you've given it to now are praying for you, longing for you. Longing because they see the surpassing grace of God resting upon them. Gifts are not given into the ether. They're given to real people which has real outcomes, which produces real receipts. And then finally he gets in verse 15, the ground of the gift giving, the ground of gift giving. He anchors the entire text. Everything from verses 1 to verse 15, 14 is anchored in verse 15, which is the generosity of God toward us in the gift of his son, the unspeakable or inexpressible gifts. You see, all of our gifts of whatever kind are to be grounded here. All generosity... Its root, its root it starts and origins begin here. Everything else grows out of this. As a matter of fact, to give generously outside of uh, anything with the root of it being God's gift to us, would, it's, it's not true generosity. It's growing from somewhere else. It's fruit from a different tree. You see, it is in the gift of Jesus as the incarnate one that we find the basis for all of our giving. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave as a gift his only son. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Ephesians 2.8, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. 1 John 4.9 and 10, it says, and this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, that, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, Jesus was the greatest gift ever given, the ground for all other gift giving. The thing that makes other gift givings make sense is the fact that Jesus was given for us. He was given for us. So let, let's land the plane with where we begin. How does the fact that Jesus became a baby, how does the incarnation change and transform our gift giving? As Christians, we are to bring every aspect of our lives into submission to Christ, to be in line with his word. So how is our giving radically transformed? Let me give you three points of applications, and then we'll sing and go home. Number one, since Jesus was given to us, we may celebrate by giving to other people. It's pretty simple. Since Jesus was a gift given to us, we may celebrate by giving to other people. All Christian generosity seeks to mimic God and his lavish generosity to us. Because Jesus has been given to us, then our gift giving to one another is a picture and a representation of what God has actually done for us. Provided we remember why we are doing it, we may freely celebrate giving to one another. 
Number two, our hearts in giving must be anchored in the heart of our Father. Remember the principle of gift giving is it has to be from the heart. Oftentimes, especially at Christmas, we can get caught up in the cycle of finding the perfect gift for someone. And listen, that's a very beautiful and glorious thing. I'm still looking. But if in the race to find the perfect gift, your motive is so that I can give a better, pers- or a better gift than so-and-so, or your motive is I want to give them a gift so that they will think highly of me, then your motives for gift giving uh, uh, are wrong and sinful. Uh, Jesus actually says that, that if that's your motive, if that's the, the thing driving you forward, then, then you've had your reward. The question is not whether or not we will get rewards, right? Like, like a goal of gift giving uh, has rewards on either side. Either we will be rewarded by our Father who is in heaven, or we will be rewarded by man here who looks upon us and says, good job. Your motive for giving a gift ought to sound something like, this is just what my son wanted. God must be rejoicing to see my son rejoice. Or, I know they desperately needed and have longed for this particular gift, but I've been unable to afford it. Therefore, I will pay the price and we can both rejoice together. Those are proper motives for gift giving. Now granted, that does become harder in a, in a, in a, in a society like ours where most of us have all of our needs and most of our wants already met. This causes you then to actually truly know people, truly understand people. What makes them tick? What do they long for? What do they like? What do they want? Either way, our hearts in giving must be anchored in the heart of our Father. Number three, joy, and dare I say, even happiness, is a proper motivation for gift giving. Joy and happiness are a proper motivation for gift giving. Uh, Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so clings, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Joy and even happiness is a proper motivation for gift giving. Did you catch it? Jesus ran the race. Jesus was the gift for you and I. But he ran the race because of the real joy that was to be found in the giving of himself. Do you understand that, that Jesus gave the gift? Don't miss it. Jesus gave the gift for the joy that was set before him. Oftentimes when we say things like uh, we we shouldn't give gifts to uh, have joy or happiness, what we're doing in a sense is saying we're we're more spiritual than Jesus. I don't need joy in order to go do this thing. I'm just gonna go do it out of the goodness of my heart. And yet, when we do that, we're trying to be more spiritual than Jesus himself, who for the joy set before him gave the gift. Therefore, friends, brothers, sisters, give gifts. Love other people well. Don't go into debt doing it. That's stupid. But give well. Love well. Give out of the abundance that you have, and if you have to, give sacrificially. Let's pray. Father God, as we consider for a few moments this morning the gift uh, that is above every gift, 
uh, that gift that is inexpressible. We just can't seem to put words on paper uh, to describe what a great gift it was. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be changed from the inside out. Lord, that we would live open-handed lives, understanding that every dollar in our bank account, every, uh, everything in our house, every uh, material possession we have is a gift from you. And that part of being a follower of Christ then is, is, is being a blessing to others, to giving gifts to other people. Lord, I pray that we would not have the spirit of Scrooge in this place. Lord, that we would have the spirit of Christ who freely gives. Lord, I pray you would uh, continue to work on us, conform us into the image of Christ. May we live joy-filled lives, especially this time of year, as we celebrate the fact that Jesus was given as a gift for us. It's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen. Brother Philip.